Our scripture today is in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 45 through 19, verse 4. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. This is the word of the Lord. Maybe seated. Well, again, good morning and uh, welcome to the Olathe Campus of Christ Community Church. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. It's, it's good to be with you. It's been, it's been a bit uh, of time. We've been on a little, uh, little family adventure of ours. I know I rambled on and on about that. I was pretty excited about that. Uh, we yeah, spent two weeks uh, visiting six national parks, which is like my favorite thing in the world to do. Um, I, I actually, at one point, I'm not making this up, I came to, the, came to grips with the fact that I have become Clark Griswold. I mean, it just was like, sort of dawned on me one day, it's like, that's who I am, and I'm just going to own it. Um, that's, what, what can I say? But uh, nature's like medicine, and we, we had a great time. This happened, this, this is a highlight right here. Um, yes, that is a grizzly, and no, we were not in our car. Um, it was awesome, um, to say the least. And, and we saw, you know, we saw mountains and glaciers and geysers and hot springs and waterfalls and old forests and, and all kinds of, of incredible things. And one thing that we saw that would be very easy to overlook, but meant a lot to me personally, uh, was this little cabin. Again, it's, it's nothing and, his, you know, you may just quickly forget it. And all the things that we saw, it's, it's utterly forgettable, except what it, what it symbolized for me. Uh, this was a cabin that one of my personal heroes lived in for a short stretch of time. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt uh, lived there in the Dakota Badlands for a tiny, tiny bit of his life. Uh, and so for me, being there and, and visiting the national park named after him, uh, it really meant a lot because it symbolized all that he accomplished and sort of his legacy and, and just, you know, the nerd in me just was really excited um, to do that. So that's what it symbolized for me. But I, I know enough of Roosevelt's story to know that this would have been a symbol for him of great pain, of just deep and utter suffering. Because Teddy didn't just vacation uh, in, the, in the Badlands. Um, he ran away. He fled there in a moment of, of deep and deep personal, personal pain. In fact, I mean, if you know some of his story, you know, as a, as a really young man, uh, he quickly rose uh, politically, sort of this meteoric rise. Um, fame followed him everywhere, success. I mean, he was just dripping with all of it. People loved him. Like, he, anywhere he went, he was like the guy. Um, and, and he had all of that as a young man uh, and a rising political career. But in 1884, uh, on Valentine's Day, his mom died of typhoid fever uh, and then a couple hours later, his wife, Alice, also died. Kidney failure two days after the birth of their first child. And he loved Alice. Uh, Theodore was 25 uh, when that happened, and he wrote these words in his journal. Light has gone out of my life. And he ran. I mean, essentially, like the, the grief for him, it was too vivid. He left New York. He left politics. He left 
success and fame and fled to these bad lands in Dakota alone, really, to be, to be in the wilderness. The light has gone out of my life. And I don't, I don't know much about Roosevelt's faith background or what he believed. I'm still in book one of a three-book biography. I got a long ways to go, people. Um, so there's probably more stories about Teddy coming. Um, so I don't, I don't know much about his faith, uh, but I can only imagine at this moment in his life as a 25-year-old, deep, deep disappointment. Disappointment with life, disappointment with God. Like, this is not what he'd signed up for. This is not what he thought life was going to be like. And it's the kind of disappointment that leads to despair that makes you just want to run. And I know some of you have been there. Some of you are there. Maybe not as, as bad as what Roosevelt experienced. And for others of you, maybe something so much worse. Where you feel like the light has gone out and, and you're disappointed with God. I mean, it sounds so terrible to say, right? Like I'm going to get struck by lightning or something. But who are we kidding? If you've walked with Jesus long enough, if you've lived enough life in this broken world, then you have been disappointed by him. And I'm not, I don't say that in accusation to God. Uh, not, not in the least, because disappointment happens, right, when, when expectations and reality don't line up. That's, that's when it happens. Uh, and, and we have really high expectations for God, right? He's God. And maybe, maybe you're even new to this, this Jesus thing, and you hear about a God who's all-powerful, all-loving, all-wise, so much so that, I mean, he, he sent a son, he came and he died for you, like he rose again out of the ground alive for you. Maybe, maybe you've heard that. And it, man, if that is true, expectations. But your relationships are a mess. Your job isn't what you thought it'd be. Can't make ends meet, right? You get bad news from the doctor. Loneliness, depression, or just the normal blah of life. Expectations, reality, and disappointment. Walk with God long enough, and you will be disappointed. And there are times when that disappointment grows so deep, you want to give up or give in or just quit faith altogether when you can swear the light has gone out and you want to run to the wilderness. I've been there, and I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. And then there's this guy named Elijah. Uh, we've been walking with Elijah for a while here. Let me just say, like, Elijah and Theodore Roosevelt have, like, pretty much nothing in common. Um, so, we can just throw that. Except there are, there are some parallels here in their, in their stories. And we've been walking with Elijah this summer. Let me, let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll jump into the story um, together. God, we need your help. God, we, we come this morning um, from all different places. Some of us are uh, trusting you deeply, loving you more. Uh, others um, don't even believe you exist or, or, or deeply question who you are. God, others of us come with, with great joy and anticipation. Life is good and fine and fun and, and all of that. Others of us in a place of deep pain where we feel like the light is out. Um, disappointed with you, God. Um, even approaching despair. And so God, I, I pray that you take these ancient words that you would help us see from Elijah's story how you continue to woo us and pursue us even in the midst of, of darkness. But that's a work only you can do, so we trust you for it, Jesus.
In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so we've been in, in Elijah's life, in his story uh, this summer. And if you're, if you're new this morning, let me kind of catch you up where, where we've been, essentially. Because Elijah, he was a prophet in the Old Testament uh, during one of the darkest, ugliest points of Israel's history. I mean, it's just, it's just bad, bad, right? It's terrible. Israel, God's people had rejected Yahweh. Yahweh is the true God, Israel's God, our, our God. But they, they rejected him. They didn't, they didn't want him. They wanted Baal instead. He's the Canaanite God, or they wanted at least both, right? And, and Canaanite is, is a God who, or uh, Baal is a Canaanite God who, you know, he demanded things like abuse and mutilation, child sacrifice, and God's own people are doing these things. Like the people that he called out of Egypt, like part of the Red Sea for, that's what they're, that's what they're doing. Led astray by wicked King Ahab and his peach of a wife, Jezebel. We're in 1 Kings 19 if you, if you want to follow along. And Elijah, like, he is one of those Bible heroes, right? He is one of those individuals with a meteoric rise to success. Like, this guy, he prays, and it stops raining for three years, right? And then he prays again, and it starts raining. Uh, when, when this widow's son dies, Elijah prays, and he comes back to life. And then, best of all, last week, like, if you were here, like, that story, uh, th- this incredible showdown between Baal and Yahweh, right? Do you know the story? Like these 450 prophets of Baal, they gather together and King Ahab himself is there. And you've got this one prophet of Elijah, or of, of Yahweh named Elijah. And these 450 prophets of Baal, they, they plead with Baal. They, they beg him to, to light their altar on fire, right? And they, they cry and they scream and they, they yell and they, they cut themselves and they do anything they can to get Baal's attention, but nothing happens. And Elijah, he's just like sitting back watching like, I'll wait, you know? He begins to taunt them at some point. He's like, you know what, maybe, maybe Bill's asleep. Talk louder. Uh, maybe he's on the pot. Um, maybe that's what he's doing. Um, Elijah actually says that, not maybe those exact words. Um, but he does say that. Maybe he's going to the bathroom. Maybe he's on vacation. He got mauled by a grizzly, right? He's like, Bale is weak. He's been found out. And it's, he's been exposed publicly in front of these prophets, in front of King Ahab, in front of all of Israel. He does nothing. And then Elijah, it's his turn, this one prophet of Yahweh. And he soaks the altar, right? He dumps water all over it. The wood's all wet. I mean, good grief. We went, we went camping a few of those nights while we were gone, and it rained a lot, okay? Um, and one night, you know, I'm cooking dinner outside, and it's just rain. It's great memories, right? This is, this is what dreams are made of. Um, and you just, like, lighting a fire in the rain, it's, it's no bueno, right? It doesn't work. And this, this altar is dripping wet. And Elijah prays, and boom, the stones are consumed. Everything is just this massive inferno. All of it is gone. And, and then, like, to top it off, then it starts raining. It hasn't rained in three years. And so the, the, the drought is over. Yahweh's been vindicated. Everybody's seen it. Like, my people are saved. It's going to be fine. Oh, like, I mean, this is a good moment, people. This is, this is like for Elijah. Like, think of the relief and the excitement in this moment. This is his Rocky Balboa moment, okay? Yo, Adrian, right? That's what he's yelling up there. Expectations. But reality Nothing changes. Nothing. 
it makes no difference whatsoever. I mean, King Ahab, so he races home in a a storm like you've never seen, right? Hasn't rained in three years. And he stands before Jezebel after having witnessed this. He is dripping wet from the rain. And he tells her the story. He's like, no, Jezebel, yeah, Baal did nothing. And yeah, Yahweh, he just made it. It like exploded. And hon, did you notice it's, it's raining? Have you ever... Have you ever had that conversation with God? Like, if you just, like, show up, just give me a sign. Like, do something big and massive, then I'll believe. I'll trust you, and I'll be fine, right? I've done that. We all want that, right? Imagine what Ahab sees, what Jezebel hears firsthand, and they walk away from this more committed to Baal than they have ever been. We don't need signs, people. We need softer hearts. And Elijah, bless his heart. Like, he's still on the victory lap at this point, right? Expecting, he's got to be expecting Jezebel to apologize. I mean, the letter's going to come. It'll be great. Dear, dear Elijah, I'm sorry. You were right. Dear Elijah, welcome back to Israel. You're a hero. Come, join us. Dear Elijah, we're going to change. We've seen Baal is nothing. Yahweh is everything. It's going to be great. Now, the messenger finally does come, and the letter arrives, and... No, it's, dear Elijah, you're a dead man. And so he runs to the bad lands of Israel. Listen, you just can't miss this in this story. And frankly, you don't, you don't need the story to tell you. Like, you know it before I even tell you, right? Just live a little life. Sometimes... God fails our expectations. Sometimes God fails our expectations. You believe he should do X? X makes sense, right? That's the best thing for you in your mind. It's it's what you want. And so you, you beg him, you plead him, God, this is what I want, this is what I need. Would you please, please do X? And instead he does nothing or what feels like nothing. Or maybe he does Y instead, right? And you, you can't figure it out and you're, you're left wondering, did I do something wrong? Like, what happened? Don't, don't you love me? Don't you care? Why, God? And I got to tell you, I think sometimes the closer you are to God, the more it hurts. Now, like, if, if you're not a Christian and something bad happens to you, you might be mad at God. It's just, it's different. I mean, it's hard to be disappointed with somebody you barely know. But if you know God, I mean really know him, and you've been following him a long time, you've you've experienced his love and blessing, and and you've been trying to to honor him with your life, and then the bottom just falls out. It almost hurts more, doesn't it? The light's just done. The lights are out. God, if this is what this is what following you looks like, yeah, I don't think so. I mean, if, if all of this is just for nothing, all that we went through, like, why? God, why did we do that? Verse 3. Then Elijah was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. So he left Israel, right, his home, and went to the northern tribe of Judah and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. I'm a failure and I'm finished. 
It was all for nothing. God, would you just, would you just do me a favor and kill me already? Some of you have prayed that prayer. I'm sorry. And for others of you, maybe you're not to that point yet. I pray you aren't. You know, I, I want you to know um, you're, you're not alone. Did you know that Moses prayed for death? Job? Jonah? Elijah? Or, or that King David, over and over again in the Psalms, wondered where God was, asking how long, how long, God, am I going to have to eat my tears? How many of God's people, over and over, have cried out in anguish, God, where are you? What have you done? Why? If that describes where you're at this morning or where you've been, friend, it stinks. But I want you to know you're in good company. Sometimes God fails our expectations. And sometimes God's people are racked with despair. Sometimes you and I are racked with despair. You know, one of the things I love so much about the Christian story um, is that it's, just, it's at least honest about it. Like we're never told to just like suck it up, get over it, it's not that bad. Uh, we're never told to put on a brave face or to pretend, you know, just quote a couple of quick Bible verses and you'll be fine. Yeah, we're never told that. God doesn't, God doesn't expect us to hide our feelings or even to pray nice, right? I mean, man up, Elijah, trust more. No, Elijah, he's never rebuked for praying this. In fact, the Bible's prayer book, the Psalms, which is designed to teach us to pray, nearly half the Psalms are laments, more than any other kind of prayer recorded. They're laments. That's prayers of, of grief, of pain, of suffering, of questions, of, of doubt, of anger, of fear, of disappointment. I gotta tell you, it's probably why in every Bible I own, the pages in the Psalms are the ones most worn. Not only does God, our God invite such prayers, he gives us the words to express them. Like in his inspired word, he shows us how. He's like, I know, I know you, we're gonna deal with this. And so he shows us, how, he shows us what it looks like. This is, this is, I mean, the Psalms are a book that says, this is how you get angry at me, God says. This is how you, you, you wrestle with your despair and your doubt and your frustration. This is, this is how you direct it towards me, even in your, your agony, even in your questions, even when, you, even when the light's out. No other religion does that. No other faith is that honest. In fact, G.K. Chesterton writes, I have found only one religion which dared to go, go down with me into the depths of myself. Have you told God how you feel? You can take it. You don't have to hide it. I mean, he already knows, right? But express it to him. If you do, you might just maybe find a little bit more trust there if you do. And I know when the light, when the light goes out, the last thing you want to do is pray. I know. But you have to. Tell him. And let me just say as well, if you find yourself this morning in a place of despair... Don't carry that alone. That is both the joy and the burden of being a church, being a family. 
is that we get to carry those things together. We, we want to carry that with you. Whatever it is, whatever you're dealing with, please don't try to do that by yourself. The journey's too great. <sighs> okay, so God, would you, would you kill me already? God says no to that prayer. And, and think of all the prayers of Elijah that God has already said yes to. I mean, this is, this is just so interesting to me. Like, you know, the Bible tells one story. Like, there's, there's a guy named James later on in the New Testament who actually picks up Elijah. Like, he is the example of the guy who prays and gets what he wants. Like, that's like, like you want to see somebody who gets what he wants when he prays? Like, look at Elijah. That's, that's, what, James, that's what James says. But not here. God has said yes, 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 yes. But to this prayer, God says no. In fact, interestingly enough, I mean, Elijah is one of the few people in all of Scripture that would never die. We'll get to that story. It's kind of crazy. And so that means that God would, like, literally never answer this prayer for Elijah. And so Jezebel, you know, she had sent this, this messenger of, of death. And God sends Elijah a messenger, an angel. It's the same Hebrew word, messenger, angel. An angel of life. Verse 5. And he lay down, Elijah did, and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he took, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. (laughs) Disappointed and despairing, Elijah prays for death. And God gives him a nap and a snack. Nice. I mean, he basically treats him like a toddler, right? I mean, because that's what you do. Like, you see a toddler melting down, you give him a nap and a snack. That's like, that's rule number one. Um, but God's not patronizing here. He's a good father. And he knows what we need, even if it's as, an, as mundane as a little food and a little rest. I mean, just even the fact that our God knows that we're just human. We're fragile, we're frail, we're dependent, we're creatures. We, we need, we cannot do it on our own. Elijah, not even Elijah is a superhero, right? We need and God gives. He doesn't give Elijah what he asked for or what he wanted, or at least what he thought he wanted. But he gives Elijah what he needs just can't miss God's tenderness in this story. A little snack, a little nap. And then verse 7, and the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. I just can't tell you what those words, those last words have, have meant to me this week. Hearing, hearing God say to this suffering individual, it's, it's, it is too much. Yeah, you're right, Elijah, I've asked too much of you. The burden you carry is too hard. You are too weak. You cannot do this on your own. I've asked too much. The journey ahead is just, is just too great for you. And I think God wants to say the same thing to so many of us. That whatever, whatever you're facing right now, or will one day face when it eventually hits the fan. 
It's just too great for you. You were never meant to carry it. Your lousy marriage is too much. Your infertility, your depression, loneliness, your failing body and health problems, your addictions, your temptations, the struggles you have at work, the challenges of raising kids or caring for aging parents, it is all too great for you. We were never meant to have such fragile bodies. We were never meant to carry such wounded souls. We were, we were never meant to have such broken relationships. We are never meant to live in a world where sin and death is all around us. You and I were never meant for a journey so great. And God knows it's too great for you. So what does he do? Like just, you know, give up on Elijah. If we're done here, I'll find somebody better. Like somebody's got to have more faith or at least be happier, right? God's just looking for a happier person. Um, no, it's not what happens. Friends, sometimes God will fail your expectations and sometimes you will be racked with despair. No matter how faithful you are to him, no matter how much you trust him, sometimes it'll come. But never will God give up on us. Never will he give up on you. You think about this story. God, he shows up, he tells him no, feeds him, gives him a nap. Twice he does that, actually. Acknowledges the pain, and then he sends him on his next mission. Like, your, your disappointment, even, even your despair, it doesn't disqualify you. You may think it does. You may think, God, hey, he's, he's not going to do anything for me, put me to work. There may, there may be times when you feel like you are done with God, but he will never feel that way about you. He's not done. He still has worked for Elijah and he still has worked for you. And so church, if there's one thing that you remember from the story, I know I've said a lot, sorry. Um, I know I've said a lot, but if there's one thing you take with you from the story, I hope it's this. As we summarize our story, this is what I think the story is saying. Um, that God, he will disappoint you. But he will never leave you. God very well may disappoint you, likely will at some point. But he will never leave you. Will that be enough for you? For Elijah, it was. He goes. I mean, you know, very little is going to change. We'll see that. Ahab and Jezebel, they're not going to learn. Israel's not going to change, not here. Elijah will never get to see what he's working for or the fruit of his labors. And yet he knows that God is with him. And I, I, know, I know that doesn't fix anything for us. It doesn't fix your circumstances. It doesn't all of a sudden wave a magic wand over and we all feel better about ourselves or about our problems. It doesn't fix it. I know that. It didn't fix Israel. But one day, friends, this is our hope. One day, God won't just send his prophet to come and tell us. One day, he's not just going to send an angel to come and comfort us. He himself would come. That our, our God would enter into this, this pain and this mess, the brokenness that we feel, which, which means that God doesn't, our God, he doesn't just know theoretically how broken this world is or, or how great the journey is for us. He knows because he's lived it. And so whatever, whatever you feel, Jesus has felt betrayal, disappointment, abandonment, temptation, loss, death, loneliness, he knows he knows what it's like to pray and be told no. Has he wrestled with God in the garden, pleading with him for another way? 
I mean, interestingly, right? Elijah prays for death and is given life. Jesus prays for life. Let this cup pass from me. But he willingly receives death on our behalf so that we could be given life. And Jesus really only, Jesus, like he knows what it's like to be abandoned by God. As he cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As his father turned his face away, as, as he bore the weight of all of our, of our sin, Jesus knows what it's like to be abandoned so that you and I will never have to know that. Disappointment, yes, abandonment, never. And just imagine the weight of the cross, what he felt. Like, if you don't think that he actually felt it, I mean, just even imagine for a second, imagine feeling in a single moment every disappointment of your entire life, all at once. Every bit of loneliness, fear, depression, illness, all at once. Every hurt from another, every time you've been betrayed or let down, every despair and and every bit of guilt and shame and regret. Imagine feeling all of that for your entire life in a single moment. It would crush me. But that's exactly what Jesus did. And not just for me, but for all of us. He took on the weight of all of the junk, all of the mess, all of the sin, all of the pain upon himself. He felt that as he hung upon the cross. The light of the world snuffed out. It's no wonder Isaiah calls him man of sorrows. So that no matter, no matter what you feel, no matter how dark it gets, no matter how disappointed, if we believe in the cross really believe in it, then we can never doubt God's love for us. I mean, not really, not if he did that. And yet he didn't just suffer with us. He promises to remove it all from us. Like he took it upon himself so that one day, and he came out of the ground alive so that one day he can restore everything that's been lost. Everything that you felt you've missed out on or has been taken from you, uh, that people have, have ripped out of your hands in ways we can't even begin to understand, he will restore what we've missed. Yes, the journey is too great for you. It's too great for me. But it's not too great for him. And he longs to walk with you, yoked with you. And when you can no longer walk, he walks for you. God will disappoint you. It's coming. But he will never leave you. Will that be enough? And then Elijah, bless his heart. I mean, none of this is resolved for him. Like, he doesn't know what's happening next. He doesn't know where it's going. We know the story. He doesn't. And yet, good or bad, he arose, he ate and drank, and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to the Mount of God. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus. God, help us to believe. Help us to trust that this is what you've actually done for us, that you, that you don't just theoretically know how broken and painful this world can be, but you felt it. That you actually have felt the weight of our guilt and pain and heartache on the cross for us. And God, not just, not just that you felt it and experienced it, and we're so grateful for that, Lord Jesus, but that you promised to remove it and to make up for it in, in ways we can't even begin to understand. Somehow you're going to make this right. Help us to believe that. God, it's so hard sometimes. Help us trust, Lord Jesus. We thank you. We praise you. Help us to worship you. And help us to long all the more in the midst of our heartbreak 
for the day when you will come again and you will make all things new. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. The reality is in this room there is, there is despair. There's sorrow. There's pain. There's regret. And I, I, don't want, I don't want to diminish that. I don't want to overlook that. And the good news that we have this morning is that our God is a God who doesn't just look over that and say, no big deal, get over it. Just put a smile on your face and deal with it. But our God is a God who gives space in our lives to press into that pain, to say that, that it is okay, that, that while what we feel, what we go through is not what he intended or designed, he has given us space to grieve, to lament, to cry out to him, so much so that, that he chose in his infinite and divine inspired word to have space for a story like this that tells us that God says he gives us permission to cry out, to be in pain, but it also tells us that he is with us in our pain, that he endures, that he goes through it with us. I, I want to share this word from Isaiah 53. As, as Nathan shared, one of the words that is described of Jesus in the prophet Isaiah is that Jesus was a man of sorrows. That yes, he is our high king, yes, he is the one who came to restore, but he came to be a man who is acquainted with our grief and our pain, so much so that he came to do something about it. So hear these words as we leave this place. Isaiah says, speaking of Jesus, he was despised and rejected by men and a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with whose wounds we are healed. Amen. Go in light of that truth. Go in peace.